This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you again. And to talk about the Parsha, to talk about the times, to talk about what's really important in our lives. Our lives, of course, well, it's the most precious thing we have. It is what makes us purposeful in this world. And when we handle life correctly, we are directed in a good way. We reach that purpose, that understanding, in a far easier and faster manner. It's also Rish Chodesh, good Chodesh to you. And not only any old Chodesh, it's Chodesh Adar, the month that our sages tell us, when the month of Adar comes along, we add, we increase our joy in great measure. And while, of course, as you've heard me say often, that the months and the weeks don't necessarily relate to each other in terms of the Parsha having a relationship to special times, but there is nonetheless a connection between the two, and we have to examine what, in fact, is this Parsha all about, and why, in fact, does it come out during the week that we celebrate Rosh Chodesh Adar Mishenichnas Adar Marben Besimcha? And Simcha, of course, is one of those extraordinary gifts that God gave us, a gift of such extraordinary dimension. It makes everything far better. When a person is besimcha, a person is elated, a person is happy. There is nothing that stands in his way, God forbid, when a person is not happy. Life is difficult, life is dark, life is gray. It becomes increasingly difficult to deal with even ordinary chores of life, whereas simcha, simcha opens us up, simcha expands us, simcha joy makes us far greater than we are, and it enables us to reach that greater dimension as well. The Parsha is Teruma, and Teruma is, again, a powerful Parsha, a powerful Parsha because Teruma is the Parsha in which we read about the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it was a very, very complicated work. Moshe had to find the best people who spiritually, artistically, aesthetically, intellectually had the capacity to understand the particular designs that God gave Moshe in terms of how the Mishkan should look, and in fact how each and every one of the vessels contained therein should look as well. And while it seems to be simple, when we simply talk about dimensions and size and the materials from which it was made, upon close examination we begin to realize it was an enormous effort taking tremendous skill, tremendous input of artisans of the highest level. As I said before, artisans who not only had the skills, the ability to create beautiful items, aesthetically beautiful items, but they also had the spiritual dimension. They were able to imbue their work with a tremendous degree of holiness and greatness. And Truma Truma means, well, a donation. God says, I want you to give a donation because each and every single one of you must partake and to participate in the whole effort of building a Mishkan. Building a Mishkan is not merely building some sort of temple, some sort of place where religious ritual 
can be fulfilled and where people bring their offerings and where the priests serve. No, it's a house not only for God, it's a house within which God resides. And this is what he says. And you will make for me a mishkan, mishkan, and I will dwell among We have to make a house for God. And while, again, those words might sound simple, creating, making a house for God is a phenomenal task. How can we human beings limit in every single sort of way? We are creatures of creation. We have been created by God, and in turn, we have to make a home for God, a place where God can dwell. It is an overwhelmingly difficult type of feat, but nonetheless, this is what it's all about. And as we take a look at the opening sentences of the Parsha, we begin to realize that this is not merely asking the Jewish people to contribute from what they have in order to put together whatever is necessary to build a Mishkan in the desert. The word, God says, you shall take this contribution, this donation for me. God is suggesting very strongly that what happens when the Jew gives the truma in order to build the Mishkan, it's as if he is giving it directly to God, which creates a tremendous bond between man and God and God and man. Not only that, and he repeats it again. He says, Terumati, you will take my Teruma. Why does God identify himself so strongly with that which the Jewish people gave? They needed all sorts of materials, gold, silver, copper. They needed scarlet wool. They needed uh, so many gems, etc., etc. Why does God speak about it in such lofty terms? Terumati, this is my teruma. This is my contribution that you are giving. Yikholi, you're getting it for me, etc., etc., suggesting very strongly that there is a powerful bond that is created as a result of this interaction, the Jewish people contributing to the Mishkan and Hashem ultimately dwelling within it, a concept that is difficult to understand. How does God himself actually reduce himself, limit himself to be contained within this house. In fact, the prophet himself asks this question. What kind of home can you build for me? You are man. And while, yes, man is endowed with all sorts of abilities, intellectual, emotional, spiritual uh, skills and talents and abilities, but after all, after all is said and done, man is a limited creature. And how can a limited creature use limited physical things and make this a place where God dwells? What is this all about, God dwelling within a specific area and a specific space? Trum, as I said before, means a contribution to the nation. But the literal translation of Trum means to uplift, to raise, to uplift something. And why do we use a term that has this double meaning? Because this donation, this contribution, as I said before, is not merely giving of your material assets to the house of God. You're not giving something for the overall good of building this place where God is going to dwell within. But an actual fact, what you are doing is elevating the material possessions that you have to an altogether different type of level. You elevate the gold and silver and the gems and the copper and the various cloths and colors and linens, etc., etc., etc. You know, we live in a physical world, and the physical world is just that. It's a world which is limited by its own physicality. 
On the other hand, God endowed us with a tremendously powerful element, and that is that when approached correctly and done correctly, handled correctly, we are able to take material things and to transform them into something which is spiritual. We take a look at various mitzvot. You know, you take a piece of leather and you turn it into a holy object. Tefillin, you take the the hide, the inner hide of an animal, and you turn it into parchment upon which the Holy Torah is written. We are able to take physical things and to elevate them to a spiritual level, but it goes beyond that as well. It's not only certain objects that have the ability of moving from its physical dimension into a spiritual, but in fact, each and everything that we possess, when handled correctly, when dealt with correctly, it elevates whatever we have to a higher level, and it elevates us in the process as well. We no longer remain and retain this limited condition of life that we've, well, come to up to this point, but we are transformed through this act of elevation. This is what the God says. What you are going to do is not merely give something, but by giving, you are going to raise yourself, raise all your material goods to such a degree that it can be used in the holy temple and it will become a place in which I will dwell. God himself is saying that the power he has given us is the ability to somehow transform things and to transform ourselves. Now, one of the great problems in life is that we underestimate ourselves. We don't really recognize the incredible potential that we possess. We see ourselves in a very limited sort of way, whether, again, intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually. We see ourselves in a limit, this is who I am, and yes, I have worked on this, that, and the other, but basically, I see myself as a limited creature. God says, Recognize your potential. Recognize what you truly possess. Recognize the powers that I have given you. Recognize the abilities you're able to do incredible things. You are able to elevate the physical into spiritual. You are able to make this world a holy place and within this world create a space in which I will dwell. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about how to elevate oneself, transform oneself, transform one's material things in order to build a house for God. God gives us that power. God gives us that strength. The question is, how do we do it? How do we recognize this? And how do we go about bringing this into a simple reality? We're talking about man connecting with God, not only connecting with God, but in a sense drawing God down into what would otherwise be considered a very limited space. And to say this, in fact is the house of God in which God dwells. And perhaps by taking a look at the tabernacle itself and at some of the vessels that were made, the holy vessels within the temple, we can have an inkling and understanding of how this works. And the very first item that had to be built was the ark, the Aron HaKodesh, the holy ark, which housed the tablets, the Ten Commandments. It housed a number of things. And we take a look at its construction, which seems to be fairly simple and straightforward. It was a rectangular box, but in actual fact, it was three boxes. The outer box, the first box, was made of gold. 
the second box made of acacia wood, and the third inner box was made of gold as well. Three layers, gold, wood, and gold. And one wonders why was it necessary to have this elaborate construction, simply make the whole thing out of gold or make the whole thing out of wood? Why was it necessary to have these three boxes, one nesting into the other, in order to create the perfect ark, the perfect box that could house the holy commandments, the luchot, the tablets. And perhaps one of the answers can be explained as follows. What's the difference between gold and wood? Wood is organic, it grows. A tree grows from one size to another size, from a young sapling to a huge tree. It's organic, it grows. Gold, it's a mineral. It doesn't grow. It is what it is, and it stays what it does. And the idea behind these three boxes could perhaps be explained as follows. The inner box is gold, and the outer box is gold. They're non-organic. They're immutable. They cannot be changed. The inner box refers to the very essence of our soul. And as our Kabbalistic masters tell us, that our souls are chelik elekami, Mal, it is part of God himself. Again, a concept which is difficult to understand and fathom, but we have to accept the words, the teaching of these great mystical men who understood these dimensions and they saw it clearly. Yes, the very core of our being, the very core of our neshama is gold. It is something which is permanent. It doesn't change. This connection is eternal, regardless of what happens to us, regardless of how we behave, regardless of how badly we behave. This inner core, represented by the inner gold box, is absolutely perfect in every way. And this is the idea of having the inner box of gold, the connection with God, as the neshama is the connection with God. The outer box as well was gold. And that refers to action. Action has to be precise. You cannot, well, act in whatever way you want. Torah tells us precisely how we have to behave. We have to do this, we have to do that, we have to do the other. Yes, of course, there's certain modifications here and there. But nonetheless, basically, acting, doing, behaving has to be done properly. It has to be done precisely. Just as every single vessel in the temple was built to exact, precise dimensions, similarly, our behavior as Jews is precise and exact. Tefillin have to be of a certain size. Shabbos comes at a specific moment. Kosher has to be in a particular sort of way, no mixing of milk and meat, this animal, that animal. The actions are very well and clearly and permanently defined. And this again is represented by gold because our actions cannot, should not change. Whereas within the middle, so to speak, between the core of our neshama, which is gold, and the behavior, the way we act, which is the outer box, there is a wooden box because that is organic and that changes. And that wooden box represents our intellect, our emotion, our skills, our talents, our ability to grow. 
Yes, at all times, our core is permanent. And that is represented by the gold, the absolute faith in God. That is my bedrock. That is my anchor. That is my reality. How I live, what I do is also extremely well defined. But at the same time, there has to be tremendous growth within that inner level, a growth of intellect, a growth of emotion, a growth that brings greatness. It's this incredible combination between the non-organic gold, which is permanent, and the organic wood, which grows, that this creates, this brings about a perfect human being. Intellectually, we grow. Not only do we mature from age to age, but when we pursue the study of Torah, it expands our minds to infinite dimensions. The ways of Torah, the knowledge of Torah, in fact, any knowledge expands our mind. But because Torah is the word of God, written in the language of God, it contains within it extremely powerful dimensions of intellectual potential and possibility. The more we study, our minds expand. The more we study, we bring out more and more of the intellectual energy that we possess. And we possess a huge amount of intellectual energy. Tragically, we don't use it all. In fact, as I've often said, reading an article once, <laughs> that most people don't even use 10% of their intellectual energy, far less than 10%. Can you imagine using 50, 60, 70, 80% of your intellect where your mind could go and how it can develop? But it needs very strong anchors, the faith, the bedrock, the inner box of gold, which is connected with God himself, and it needs precise behavior on the outside. Because intellect, unless it has those permanent features within and without, intellect can take us to pretty dangerous places. The only way that we can be assured that our intellect is retained within an acceptable dimension of growth and development is when we have these two dimensions of gold, the inner and the external. Emotionally as well. And emotion is not only the emotions that we go through or the motions that we go through. Emotions generally are connected with service to God, to prayer. Now, most people think prayer is repetition of words or perhaps asking God for something that I need. Yes, those are elements of prayer. But the real dimension of prayer, prayer is like a ladder that goes from the very bottom of everything to the very top of everything. Prayer is the ability of using our strength to rise to higher levels of emotional consciousness, of greater passion for our love to God, and for love of the things that he wants us to love. The emotions can and should be developed. Most people, unfortunately, think to themselves, well, this is who I am, and that's the way I am. That's not the way you are. That's the way you are because you're doing nothing about growth in your own life. Do you have any skills? Do you have any talents? What are you actually doing? How do you live life fully? How do you live life in a way where you can see the gold at the core, where you can see the gold on the outside, and you see this incredible strength and energy of growth, 
within the inner dimension. That is the great excitement of life. That's the great journey of life. On the one hand, I'm anchored with my faith, with my neshama, with my soul to the very essence of God, and he with me. My behavior is correct and precise in every single detail, how I do and what I do and when I do, etc., etc., as defined by Torah, as defined by Halakha. But there is that inner growth, that constant development, which gives life a tremendous sense of excitement, a tremendous sense of change. Yes, you have these two anchors at each end, but in between you have this huge, enormous space space of growth and development. And this is what we can do. This is how we can, in fact, become the people that we should, the people that we are. And this is the Aaron, this is the box, this is the way you create a house for God. You create a house for God by recognizing, first of all, what the essence of everything is. You create a house for God by recognizing the validity of behaving precisely, exactly, correctly. And you create a house for God by using those, well, I'll call it infinite infinite elements of intellect and emotion and skills and abilities that each and every one of us inherently possesses. This is how you build a house for God because when you live on that three box principle, inner gold, outer gold, and the wood within, you begin to see the presence of God in everything. You begin to see a sense of holiness. You begin to transform your physical objects into things of great divine value. A lot of people try to take physical objects and give them divinity. That's called idols. What Torah is telling us is how the human being, in terms of changing himself, on the one hand maintaining an absolute, fixed, permanent faith in God, a behavior that is precise and valid based upon the laws of Torah, but at the same time, this, this constant growth, this bubbling and excitement and passion of becoming bitter, bigger and better all the time. And this is how we create a house for God, by taking physical objects and using them correctly, by using our inner talents and intellect and emotional, yes, to give it a particular flavor, a particular structure, a particular dimension, but at the same time, we are protected by the two elements, one of faith and one of action. And therefore, the growth in between is real, it's authentic. And in fact, it changes us and changes things around us. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why this particular, the ark, was the very first vessel that was chosen by God. This is the first thing that you make. Not only because it was necessary to house the luchot, the, tem- the tablets, but because the Aaron becomes a symbol of what life is all about. This three-dimension area of faith, of action, and intellectual, emotional growth within. When we apply that to every single area of life, you begin to see things not only differently, but you begin to see things as they should be seen. You begin to understand truth, you begin to understand greatness, you begin to understand purpose, you begin to understand why this incredible world that God created 
within this world he has given us the strength, the ability, the wisdom, the know-how, the passion to make a house for him. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the Parsha of Trum. We're talking about how God says, give this to me. And by doing it correctly, you will not only give a contribution to build the Mishkan, to build the tabernacle, but in actual fact, you will give me something. You will connect with the infinity of godliness at the highest possible level. And this is the three-point principle that I mentioned before based upon the description and construction of the Ark, the very inner core of absolute faith, something which is unshakable, something which never, ever changes, regardless, regardless of challenges, regardless of whatever it is that comes along that tries to interfere with our faith. We have to at all times recognize that gold core. I am connected with God himself. This is my neshama, and this is what my faith is based upon. We have to recognize the external goal. My behavior has to be correct. I have to live a life which is based upon Torah and mitzvot. I have to live a life which is defined by the terms of how Torah tells me to live. Yes, all sorts of societies come along and offer up all sorts of alternatives. This is good and this is modern and this is nice and this is wonderful and this and that and the other. Don't be seduced by that nonsense. Recognize and realize that behavior in life is not something which is based upon the social mores of any particular society. It is based upon the infinite word of God and the very same Shabbos that people had to observe thousands of years ago in the wilderness after receiving the Torah, the very same Shabbos we observe today. The very same laws of Kashrut exist forever. It doesn't change. Nothing changes. Milk and meat remain prohibited regardless of time, regardless of space. It's not something which was there once upon a time. That film that I put on, etc., etc., etc. You have to remember the permanence of the essence and the permanence and correctness of behavior. But in the middle, there has to be constant and tremendous growth. There has to be the excitement of change. There has to be the pursuit of knowledge at the highest level. The, well, creating emotions, unleashing emotions of passion, of holiness, of prayer, etc., etc., etc. And when it is bordered by these two immutable elements of faith and action, what is in between can fly to the highest level. And that's the way we build a house for God recognizing the essence of truth, recognizing the correctness of behavior, recognizing how I can grow and how I can use the things in the world in the most proper way. Because it enables me to see the essence of things. I begin to see the infinite within the finite. I begin to see the godliness within the natural. I begin to recognize the creator within his creation. I don't think take things for granted. You know, being, isness, existence. You know, we take these things for granted. I begin to realize there's a beginning and there was a beginning and there'll be a glorious, powerful, well, not an end, but a grand finale in terms of the coming of Mashiach when everything will achieve perfection. 
There is purpose along the way. There is purpose in every single action. There is purpose in everything that I do. This is the way I build a house for God. And as I mentioned earlier on, this is connected with the month of Adar that we are celebrating today being Rosh Chodesh Adar. And as I said, what do our sages tell us? When the month of Adar comes along, you have to increase in huge measure the joy of life, the joy of experience. There's a saying among the sages, Simcha porets together. Joy is able to break down any limitation. Joy is able to somehow take you from a very limited space and lift you to an infinite space. When a person is truly joyous, there is nothing that's impossible. When a person is truly joyous, his life, his heart, his head, his mind, his body is filled with an exuberance, filled with an energy, filled with an excitement that is altogether greater and more powerful. Simcha has the ability of taking us to places that we never imagined we could ever go. And one would think, well, how do I become joyous? How do I become happy? Well, first of all, through the simple, well, the simple method of creating a little bit of joy in your life. But there's another way as well. Our sages also tell us, in Simcha there is no greater joy than the removal of doubt, to have clarity in life. And clarity means I know what I have to do, I know where I have to go, I know how I have to behave, etc. And first of all, there's the overall directives of Torah, what you should do, what you should not do. But in every single area of life where there is doubt, you know, have a mentor that is able to guide you and teach you. When you do things with a degree of clarity, you're not bumping around in the middle of the night. You're not going through life hitting this and hitting that, maybe this and maybe that, because the maybes can destroy you. There has to be the certainty. There has to be the simcha of knowing for sure. And with the study of Torah, with the observance of mitzvah, more and more clarity in life, certainty in life comes along. And this in itself creates a degree of joy which goes further in terms of Poretzgeda, which goes further in breaking down any type of limitation. It's a wonderful cycle. You look for clarity. In doubt, you ask somebody who knows. You ask somebody who understands. You don't allow yourself to live with confusion and in confusion behaving in a way which is completely contrary to your very essence, and you know that things have to change. Clarity means searching out the truth. Clarity means knowing for sure what has to be done. And there's so many ways to achieve that. Study, prayer, having a mentor, having a good friend, having good friends generally. And yes, there can be and will be challenges in life, sometimes overwhelming challenges in life. But if there is the clarity of purpose, you will see a sense of joy, and they are not mutually exclusive. A person can go through challenges and achieve the highest levels of simcha, of joy. And that is together. That changes things because you are removing more and more restrictions and limitations.
And this is what the month of Adar is all about. The month of Adar is increasing joy, going along that route and doing something. And Hashem blesses us that if we do X amount, He will reward us, well, many, many times X. <laughs> and this is the connection with the Parsha of the week as well, Truma. Changing the material, elevating the material, recognizing the core, recognizing the action, <coughs> living a life of clarity and certainty, building a mishka, building a house for God, building something extraordinary and something which is great. Have a good Shabbos, have a good Chodesh, and when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to the story, listen to the parsha, understand the purpose of the vessels and the mishkan, and make a house for God.